1: this is the Red Box Podcast I'm Matt Chorley bringing the best of my Times Radio show you can listen live Monday to Friday 10 till 1 on your DB radio on your smart speaker or download the Times Radio app and we're talking a lot about radio on the podcast today ultra local radio community stations where volunteers put it all together where one show is just a recording of a hedge we'll be finding out why they do it how they do it and whether they're plugging the gaps left by the BBC as they retreat from very local ways. that's coming up in just a moment we'll do the Connors panel as well but first as we always do on a Friday let's take a look at what we learned this week We learn that Shadow Chancellor Rachel Weaves loves a chess metaphor, but even she could tell when it had run out of steam. Well, I'd describe it as
2: we're um, a a rook ahead after about 30 moves, but we're playing an opponent that usually beats us. So this is not in the bag, uh, but we are determined to to offer to the country the hope that it needs.
1: Really straining for that metaphor.
2: We are determined to... uh,
1: we learned that Liz Truss has got a new growth commission. Among those sitting on it is former US Treasury official Christine McDaniel.
2: Well, you know, I I'm probably not the right person to ask about that. I don't really follow uh, UK politics very much, but um you, might, you is, might have you know, missed she...
1: her being prime minister. She was, she wasn't there very long. <laughs> That's the sound of someone wondering what they've signed up to. (laughs) We learn what Donald Trump thinks of Italians. Those
0: Italians, I love the Italians.
1: We learn that former Tory chairman Jake Berry can't name all five of Rishi Sunak's pledges. Cut that. Economic growth. NHS waiting times. Stop the boats. Grow the economy. No, grow the economy. we have already said that. We learned that things can get lively in the Kosovan parliament. Here's an opposition politician throwing a glass of water over the prime minister, sparking a mass brawl. learned that Keir Starmer doesn't like to blow his own trumpet, but the flute was what I was best at.
3: Um, and uh, the violin and piano
1: took uh, sort of slightly uh, further back uh, down the rankings. But, yeah, Keir Starmer, they're talking about blowing his flute. Now, one bonus thing we learned this week, really like this, this was on BBC Look North last night. Uh, BBC Look North. Peter Levy learned that one viewer owns a very old vacuum cleaner.
3: My grandmother gave us an Electrolux
1: vacuum cleaner <laughs> which she <laughs> which said was older than my mother who was born in 1929 <laughs> near enough 100 years old uh, Apparently, Mal goes on to say it still works and <laughs> is handy as it... <laughs> As it blows as well as sucks.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I... (laughs) I...
1: (laughs) Right, well, I... (laughs) Very dangerous. And that is what we learned this week. Now, regular listeners of my show will know that I've become a bit of a fan of brass bands, particularly brass bands doing covers of pop music. And we often use them during the course of the show. And so, for a while, I've been trying to get a brass band into the studio just to play some covers. So, that's what we did today. the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain. As you regular listeners will know, for some time I have enjoyed playing brass band covers, but having having brass band covers played live in the studio, so much better. <laughs> and so I've been asking for your political bands. Uh, Stu says the charlatans and dodgy uh, ben and Sophie says Peter Boney M uh, David says the rolling moans for the SMP the who covers any Lib Dem and you too for any Tory caught up in a scandal uh, and those of you just really enjoying the music uh, Warren and Abondicha says politics like the boring bits but with the big brass band bit, Ah, oh, well done well done <laughs> Oh, this is very exciting. This is very exciting. So we are going to do the columnists. We've got James, James Marrits here in the studio. James, how are you? Um, yeah, much, much better for that. March, uh, friends, lovely so. music. We've also got Gabby Hinsley. Morning, Gabby. I'm going to be
5: introduced by a brass band everywhere I
1: go now. I know, it's good, isn't it? It's good. Now, uh, so try and get close to a mic. This is where we really test the size of the studio. Try and get close to Mike mic if you can, guys. So we've got Freddie, Will, Melody, Alice and Nat. Uh, how many of you are there normally in the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain? I say
0: there's no- Eighty. Yeah. Eighty? Yeah. Depends
6: on the year. Depends <laughs> on the
1: year, yeah. Five. Five seems like a lot. So who, um, how, how, so there's normally 80 of you. Where do you normally play apart from coming on the radio? Why do you, um, uh, Freddie, come, try and come cl- quite close to that mic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So where do you normally play?
7: Um, so we have two courses every year. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time we'll have one at Repton, um, at the school. And yeah. we'll rehearse throughout the week, um, and then we will head elsewhere for a concert. Yeah, but apart
1: um, from the studios of Times Radio, what's the most exciting place you've played?
7: I'd have to say Royal Albert
1: Hall. No, oh, that is quite yeah, good. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, slightly bigger than our studio. Um, now, Nat, you've got by far the biggest instrument, if you don't mind me saying so. Yeah. Uh, what do you play?
6: So I play flat tuba.
1: The, coming close to this no this might here <laughs> flat tuba. The flat tuba. E-flat tuba. E-flat tuba. Yeah, My
6: response is two tubas, the E-flat and the B-flat. Right. B-flat's the bigger one, I play that as well, but uh, it's too big to carry on.
1: Yeah, it is quite big, that. Yeah, yeah. And what, what do you all, what do you play, play
6: Fuddy? I play the cornet and trumpet. Will? I'm a uh, cornet and trumpet, too.
1: Melody? Uh,
4: I play the euphonium.
1: euphonium. Euphonium, that's a good name for a musical <laughs> instrument. And Alice?
2: Uh, I play tenor horn.
1: It's, I mean, you're so good. Now, uh, you've, already, you've you've given us, we've got a playlist planned for the rest of the show. My wife asks if you can play the Star Wars theme. Can you do that?
7: You go, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, there we are. We're now going live requests. You've got time. You've got time. Um, uh, well, listen, thank you so much for coming in. It is brilliant. Where can people find out more about you? Presumably you have just a website. Can people go to the website?
6: Yeah? yeah so we've got a website. It's we. org. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That'll,
1: have got that. That'll get there that yes. eventually. We also have an Instagram as well. That's important. Yes. Yes. Get on the Instagram. (laughs) Yes. Well, listen, you've done very well. You've already done two songs for us in half an hour. Go and have a break, slash, rehearse Star Wars. And uh, we'll see you a bit later on in the show. Really good to see you. Thanks a lot. Cheers, thanks a lot. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Do you play musical instrument, James? Fortunately for
7: everybody, I don't. I think I'm much better listening. Uh, What about you, Gabby?
5: I did when I was little. I was resolutely unmusical, and my mum made me learn the piano, which was okay. And then I did the violin, which was not not okay. She's got a tape somewhere of me playing, and it's absolutely excruciating. And you can hear our dog literally howling in the background.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there was there were some instruments that no matter like they, they, they don't lend themselves to rehearsals. The recorder,
7: say. nobody Record, should play the recorder. A
1: bit like a violin. Like someone can you have to be really good for the violin, violin to on be a nice. Piano, and it might be annoying, but it's not excruciating. When someone guitar is never really horrible. Yeah. No
5: bad violin though is really 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 bad. Really bad. Yeah. And, and I know that now.
1: It really struck me this week, uh, Gabby. Uh, Keir Starmer saying he plays the flute, and him talking about his love of music, and he doesn't like you know you don't want to fall into the baroque when you're playing the flute. It was the most natural human. Interaction I think I've seen from Kirst. It was I think that was the most authentically normal Keir Starmer that I've ever seen.
5: Yes, the most relaxed and laid back. I don't know what it would have been like as a kind of fourteen-year-old boy playing the flute. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know whether that's necessarily like what, I mean, maybe that is what makes you enormously popular as a 14-year-old boy. But from what I remember of 14-year-old boys, I'm not necessarily sure it was. But yeah, he was clearly, he loves music. I remember someone telling me about that. About, and not just like, you know, there was a lot of talk about Beethoven and, and the Baroque period, but um, he's really into, he was really into his, his bands and his kind of, well, he had an old girlfriend who was really into kind of music. He was into sort of obscure kind of quite cool music, apparently when he was younger. So, perhaps we ought to ask him more about that.
1: Didn't he play with Fatboy Slim? If I made that up. This is no, Fatboy Slim
5: was his violin teacher. That's I think. right. Or, no, yeah, not yeah, his yeah. violin teacher, whatever, something teacher, music teacher. Fatboy Slim had taught me to play, I might have been good at it.
1: Yes. Uh, Fatboy Slim and Keir Starmer learned to play violin together. Yep. There we
5: are. I would have been better at violin if Fatboy Slim had taught me to play that.
1: After the, after the
7: brass band, you need to get Keir Starmer in here. In on the flute. Playing playing the flute. Tooting.
1: Just tooting. With away. me.
5: With me in the background on the violin. Be
7: good. Yeah, the time's really good. I'll be honest, radio, so, far, so
1: far, Gabby, your pitch does not lend itself to me wanting <laughs> you to play every, every 30 minutes. Do you play an instrument, Matt? No. No, I'd like to have done. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine
7: what I could see you playing. I could see you in a youth brass band, actually.
1: I quite like the. I am eyeing up Nat. Uh, what was it? Uh, e flat tuba. Oh, if I could see you on the E flat yeah, tuba. Yeah, it's a good big sort of um, Harold Bishop from Neighbours. That's what. I'm, that's where I'm. Uh, I'm headed. I'd quite. I do really like people marching up and down in sort of the carnival that we always have in our town every summer. I do like a band. Yeah, marching band. Marching band. Yeah.
5: Anywhere is massively obsessed with brass bands. We went um, to Gozo this summer, which is like a little island off Malta, and they're obsessed. Every village has a band club, a special club for the brass band. Every village has a brass band that plays at you know your big patron saints day in the summer. Yeah, and you have a band club which does you a massive fried breakfast, somewhere to practice your band music, and a big statue of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All your needs.
1: That's what Times Radio needs. That's what your show what? needs. What brass a, band more clubs? Brass band Jesus. brass band clubs. Well, maybe we need a brass band, in, a brass band, a statue of Jesus, and a fly-up every Friday morning. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I suppose we should talk about the news rather than just... Uh, I'm just giddy about having a brass band in. Uh, let's talk about this. This is, this is great, this. A YouGov poll found it more than half of Conservative MPs... Obviously, normally they polled the general public, uh, which they have done as well, but they've also polled MPs, and more than half of Conservative MPs still expect the next election will result in a Conservative government. Gabby, do you want to break it to them?
5: It's like, you know those polls that you get occasionally where like 67% of Americans are confident they could win a fight with a grizzly bear <laughs> and you think, like, are you familiar with bears at all? And it, this, this poll gives me the same vibe, to be honest. I mean, maybe they're sort of loyally saying that because they don't want to say in public that they're going to lose. But what puzzled me more was that I think it's 24% who said that they, um, that they thought there was going to be a hung parliament but that the Tories were then going to form a government. Who are they thinking is going into coalition with them?
1: Yeah, and that—that's one of the. I think that's one of the underpriced things, is that uh, there is no... It's hard to see an outcome. In fact, I'm going to say there is no outcome, where yeah. if if oh if the Conservatives don't have a majority, Rishi if Sunak one goes. Oh, prime give another go. Exactly. Yes. Um, there's no propping up to be done, or uh, so the only way Rishi Sunak remains as prime minister is if they have a majority, and that seems quite unlikely. So yeah, the, of the. Um, the expectations of the public versus uh, uh, all people. Um, the a large conservative, uh, no, so a small conservative majority is predicted by twenty nine percent of conservative MPs compared to nine percent of the public. Although actually, a, a, a slither of people do think there might be a large conservative majority. Maybe they don't fully work out how these, um, what, you know, what they want rather than what they expect will happen. Uh, what do you think is going to happen, James? Yeah, it does seem like they're a bit off base with
7: their predictions. I wonder, as Gabby said, whether, you know, someone from YouGov comes and asks, are you going to win the next election? If, you know, is everyone answering honestly, if it was sort of like 80% of Conservative MPs think they're going to lose, that's not a wonderful look. So perhaps they feel like they have to say that. It is especially strange because we know that so many Conservative MPs, are, you know, said they're going to leave Parliament to the next election. This, it doesn't seem like there's a mood of overwhelming optimism in the Conservative Party based on things like that. I I wonder if it's kind of for publicity. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You just can't go around saying, "Yeah, we're going to lose. We're
5: hopeless."
7: And I, mean, I don't know. There's also maybe it's the kind of characters that politics attracts. You know, maybe if to be a politician to go through the horrendous process of you know getting selected for a seat, contesting a seat, you just have to always slightly madly believe that you're going to win. You have to, and keep if you the didn't face. have that belief, you yeah, just yeah, wouldn't yeah. be in politics, yeah, and yeah, therefore. Yeah that's the kind of personality that we're pulling there.
1: And it's interesting, There was a there were, uh, we talked about this with um, Danny Finkelstein and Henry earlier in the week, but the psychology of, you have to keep the faith, because, like, if Richie Sinak just thinks he's going to lose, well, what does he do yeah. now? I yeah. mean, actually, there's an argument, and this is part of the conversation we're having, Gabby, that actually, if he just sort of, he doesn't need to say it out loud, but just thinks, look, I've got 18 months of being Prime Minister, let's just do all the best things I possibly could for the country.
0: Yeah, and- I mean, I...
1: If I lose, it might be a, buy a bit less. And if I do lose, but everyone says, "Well, at least he spent that last year really putting his shoulder to the wheel."
5: I wrote about this earlier this week, actually, because I do, I do think there's a kind of there's a kind of liberation almost in thinking, "Okay, you're on your way out, probably." So you can't make it worse, really, at this point. You can't. It's not a lot left to lose at this stage. It's like worrying about dropping one seat here or there. That's not. That's not really, you know, the least of anyone's problems at this stage. So you could just go for broke. You could just do the things that you always thought were a bit too difficult. I mean, you could be terribly noble and try and leave, you know, a nice inheritance for the next government. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But you could at the very least think, well, you know, all the things that people have always said, yeah, it's a good idea, but it's a bit too risky. Well, you, Or it's too, you know, it's too unpopular. Just do it. What have you got to lose at this stage?
1: James? Yeah,
7: I mean... It reminds me of the conversation we had the other week about you know long long term thinking. Yeah, if because the problem with short termism in politics is everyone's always trying to win the next election or everyone's always trying to arrange things so that you can kind of have people liking you in you know whatever have new the time till the next election. If you kind of if that thought is removed, maybe you do become a bit better at thinking in the long term and thinking yeah. well what I'm thinking about now is not the next election. It's my legacy and maybe the ideal outcome is that in 15 years' time, people yeah. look back on me and go, oh, yeah, he was actually a pretty selfless Prime Minister. He did some genuinely difficult but good stuff. And, yeah, maybe a slightly defeated attitude could be good. Maybe the insane, you know, belief that you're always going to win
1: could be damaging to politics in some ways. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see if Rishi Senat takes our advice on board. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening for the brass band. I did find out this week, Theresa May listens. Interesting. Wow. Does that surprise me? There we are. I don't know. Yeah. A sort of it, it reached me i mean we haven't always seen eye to eye on everything but apparently actually yeah, listens or well, she's certainly heard us over over time she's not a woman who you think sense
7: of humor is the first thing you think about her but well fingers crossed she's listening to you're you wrong. She's are wrong
1: you're clearly fingers wrong fingers crossed she's eat. a fan of an e-flat tuba. <laughs> <laughs> i
5: think she might listen when she's cooking i think she might listen when she's cooking yeah. i can imagine teresa may in the kitchen with bopping the about with a of uptown
7: yeah. funk yeah, I, but do I, say, I, I don't, I do, I don't really see that, but I mean, evidently it happens, so we have to believe in it.
2: Across the UK on DAB digital radio, on the Free Times Radio app, and on your smart speaker. Matt Chorley on Times Radio.
7: I was hunched on my bedroom floor
1: with my laptop frantically battering away at my column, oh, James. 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 I know. I'm sorry. I can't stop going on about it. <laughs> uh, James Barrett is here, as is uh, Gabby Hinsliff from uh, The Guardian. James, you've been looking at religion uh, today, and we always talk about how the or oh, doing no, this week in your your column yesterday. Um, we always sort of think of like religion being in decline, but you think we've got new religions.
7: Yeah, basically, I think this is actually one of the sort of one of those stories that's so big you almost forget to see it, which is that in the last you know, over the last 60 years, I mean, in the last 20 years especially, religious belief has really, really declined very strongly in Britain. More markedly, in fact, in America, which is always an exception among rich countries and being unusually religious. But in America, levels of religiosity are now approaching, you know, those kind of very faithless European European countries. And I just think that it's an interesting thing in our politics and our culture that all those religious emotions, the kind of sectarianism that comes with the religion, you know, the outlet for irrational beliefs... I don't think those things have gone away in our politics and culture. I think they're still there, but they're just not expressed in religion anymore. And they come out in a variety of ways. And I was sort of saying things like, you know, astrology is booming. Uh, I think for a lot of people, politics is quite religious now. I think people's politics kind of functions almost religious certainties. Uh, Things like... um, would also have, I can't remember, various. A lot of, I think a lot of kind of religious impulses and religious fervour actually still exist in society, but is expressed in different ways. And this is an
1: underappreciated story of what's happening to us at the moment. I suppose, for, for, to a large extent, the role of religion in society has been you know, it does provide a sense of community, a sense of identity. Exactly. Uh, a sense of. Um, hope yeah. and optimism or, or safety or security and so the fact that people aren't finding that in the church or other religions but finding it elsewhere is it maybe it's, it's part of human nature
7: yeah i think that's exactly it. and i think an interesting thing is that we tend to think about religion in a slightly mistaken way which i think that religion consists of a book with a load of r- rules telling you all these various things about god that you know crucifixion reincarnation and that's what religion is i think actually most people as you say don't ex- that's not if you're religious how you mean experience your experience in terms of community sort of vague spiritual longings you might have and those those things yet yeah, fulfilled now by yeah politics i think a lot of the kind of weird madness on social media is a lot of people i think actually get a lot of kind of purpose and meaning out of the way they use social media and, you know, thinking you can go onto Twitter and
1: change change the world, I think actually is quite a kind of religious thing for a lot of people. What do you think, Gabby? It's an interesting idea that people are getting their religion from non-religious sources.
5: Yeah, I think there's a lot in it. And I also think actually, I mean, talking of madness on social media, I think quite a lot of conspiracy theories feel to me like religion in an, in a sort of... Another form, you know, because it's always the idea of a conspiracy theory is always that somewhere behind, you know, everything there's some shady power pulling everything together, you know, pulling all the strings, and this is all part of some great plot that we're not aware of that's unfolding without us. You know, that's a very, um it's a very crazy religious thing. You know, it's it's more like a religious cult than than a sort of you know sort of old english christianity but it's it's very much that idea that it's kind of reassuring to think that someone's in charge our lives aren't just random accidents where you know we're sort of all crashing around in confusion and that's i think what conspiracy theories serve as well as religion.
1: um where does it go then in terms of uh the sort of the cycle james do you think that that, that uh religion Continues in its decline because people continue finding the things they used to get from religion elsewhere.
7: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's just one of the most sort of striking trends. Any of all the social trends you can measure since the Second World War, the decline of religion is the most consistent. It's only going in one direction. I think it will continue. But what is going to be fascinating is seeing where all these other impulses pop up. The other point that I made in the column was that I think people kind of needed this irrational stuff a bit less when we felt like everything was going broadly very well, when we felt the economy was getting better, when people felt their kids were going to be better off than them. I think you kind of feel less uncertain. You have less of a need for these sort of irrational outlets. But I think now that people feel a bit more nervous about the world, actually, I think this is why you see more, as we're saying, astrology. I mean, some of these conspiracy theories, as as Gabby says, are really kind of quite explicitly, explicitly religious. You know, the QAnon cult in America has all these kind of theories about elites you know w- killing children and you know sacrificing children and drinking blood and there's a I wonder if we'll see more of that kind of stuff yeah. not not mainstream but at the fringes more yeah. really quite weird things
1: I was actually looking at the YouGov tracker so in uh August 2021 only 25% of people said I believe there is a god or there are gods but uh, in February this year there was up to 29%. Now that's the sort of uptick that you know Downing Street would get excited about putting on four points. That is
7: that is very interesting.
1: The other thing, I that mean, I, I think essentially it, it it's sort kind of bounces no, probably noise, probably noise a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
7: But it is also interesting that the, although belief in God has declined, if you look at the number of people who believe in an afterlife, that basically is broadly, I think,
1: a straight line yeah, yeah, since yeah. the seventies. And so it's about twenty-two, twenty-three percent say I do not, uh, I do not believe in a God, but I do believe there is some sort of spiritual greater power.
7: Yeah, and it's kind of. Religion can decline... That's actually,
1: that's, that's actually higher than the number of people who believe in the Liberal Democrats. <laughs> Maybe the Liberal Democrats are our
7: highest spiritual power. There's no in thought. But they've got the bird.
1: This is slightly religious. It is a bit religious. Dove. Maybe the Liberal we, Democrats they've been will, hiding... In, and the sandals and the beards. Their prophet... 20, 2050, the <laughs> religion of the Liberal Democrats... What do you think, Gabby? Is the David II coming of Jesus...
5: Uh, I'm going to give that a no. Now, that. Gab- my, fa- my favourite <laughs> religious statistic is that more people believe in the existence of heaven than the existence of hell. It's like we want to believe in the good, the good one. thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm definitely going to heaven, but if I don't, so my mate, I'm not going anywhere else. That's definitely not happening. That's Gab- like natural human optimism.
1: Gabby, just briefly, is the uh, Boris Johnson in Oxford correspondent. How's everyone uh, reacted to the news? He wants to build a swimming pool.
5: Uh, if you listen carefully, you can probably hear the rain hammering down on, on, on my roof. So I think probably like wild optimism. you know.
1: Gabby Hinsliff and James Marriott there. And a massive thank you to the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain for coming in and playing for us. And uh, if you want to hear more of them, catch up with the whole Times Radio show on the Times Radio app. Right, up next, we are talking ultra-local radio.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're
1: listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this: the big thing on Times Radio.
3: Man with what looks like a Ghostbusters outfit on his back. Peter, winning
0: numbers
6: are for another four. <laughs> you can hear them. I can hear them.
1: Yeah, twiddling the knob on ultra local community radio. Now, uh, you and I both know uh, we, when it comes to national radio, you only need to stick with Times Radio. But today I want to take a look at what is happening across the country, not just in local radio. But in hyper-local radio, there are some examples of Britain's smallest radio stations. They seem to be experiencing a bit of a renaissance. According to RAJAR, the people who measure uh, listening uh, radio audiences in the UK, community radio delivers 5.4 million hours of uh, listening every week. So in a moment, we're going to hear from four local radio station uh, managers and presenters from around the country. See how they're plugging the gaps as both big commercial groups and the BBC retreat from local to regional and national broadcasting. Uh, We're going to find out about the ultra-local. But first, broadcaster and radio expert David Lloyd has been telling me what makes the local radio scene so popular and about how it's doing what other parts of the media aren't.
8: I think local radio is a is a very um popular concept. I mean you know if you look at the overall statistics of radio listening it's uh, the majority of listening is not too local, but nevertheless, there's a significant interest in it. I think it's really important in smaller communities possibly than larger ones, and it's certainly more important to older audiences who tend to be settled in their patch and they they care about what's happening near them and there is no doubt that local radio in its various forms provides real real tangible value and the great thing about nowadays is that that local I'm going to call it local audio because it just gets delivered in so many ways these days. It's not just your local radio station as it used to be. You know, you can have a local podcast. You can have a local online radio station. You can have a community radio uh, station. You can have a small commercial station. You can rent a bit of DAB uh, spectrum. Or, of course, you've got the BBC local uh, radio station. So there's a whole load of local radio stations doing their bit in their communities. And that's highly valued.
1: And give us a sense of what's been going on in the industry. You've got, well, right now, the BBC Local Radio is going through another round of cuts and concern that there's sort of retreat and, you know, what were small regions being uh, pushed together in uh, local commercial radio? You know, everyone will be able to think of their the local... Uh, independent commercial radio station they grew up listening to is now part of some mega uh, national brand. And then these ultra-local community stations are sort of coming in and plugging the gap?
8: Yeah, there's no doubt that local radio... Is a very good thing, but it's also expensive because automatically you've got you can't just cover the whole nation with one set of overheads, if you like. Obviously, you've got to have them in in, in the patch or uh, certainly uh, specific to the patch. And that's an expensive business. And the fact is, if all our wonderful original commercial radio stations still existed, and I loved them all and started there, many of those were loss making. At the time, let alone now, when things are much more expensive, there's much more competition for for both listening uh, and for uh, commercial income. So it's a, a really challenging time for local radio. And it's really difficult, not least if you've got a big newsroom locally to actually create a sustainable business so you know that's why consolidation in the commercial sector has has gone the way it has so you know w- where the market doesn't provide a service you look to public funding to do that if 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 it's a desirable service which it is and and, and there you have the BBC the BBC is a very expensive animal. So, you know, you've got all these ways of delivering localness that I've described, but the only one that gets public funding is BBC Local Radio. They have uh, decided to channel some of their local radio cash uh, into online news instead of uh, local radio. And I get the, the, the reasons why they want to invest more in local online news, but they reckon they can't deliver local radio on the cash that's left. Well, believe you me, they can, and people in on my side of the fence in, in community or commercial radio can tell them why they're wasting so much money in doing it the way they're doing it. <laughs> you can, on the available BBC budgets, easily provide uh, local radio. Uh, you know, on on the license fee funding, and the the annoying thing is that there are. At at a time when everything else is getting hyper-local, you know, some of the local press titles and online titles and this, that and the other, you know, they're going regional. Well, to me, I don't believe in regional. I don't think the regional concept exists in real people's heads. You care about things where you live or you care about things that are national enough to, to make the news. You don't give a toss about something that's happening two cities away. So their whole regional strategy is
1: just a waste of cash. And so what could be done to support these ultra-local, commu- you know, community, often volu- uh, voluntary-run stations? Is there, I mean, is it a financial thing? Is it a regulatory thing? Is it just about, you know, the difficulty in even getting a licence from Ofcom? What could be done to to help more people plug those gaps as the, the BBC and actually big commercial uh, groups sort of retreat to the regional?
8: It's, it's a bit of a regulatory and funding mess at the moment because you have different licenses for you know, about four or five different sorts of local audio sources. So, you know, sorting that out in a regulatory fashion would be a a good start and then to allocate the public funding in a more equitable way it seems to me foolish that you've got one station fully funded to to provide a half-hearted regional service when you've got people desperately keen and you'll speak to some of them this morning on your program I know Matt uh, desperately keen to do it you know who get no public funding and find it really difficult to find the
1: right frequencies or to you know to find ways of delivering their service to their communities. David Lloyd there, uh, who is a radio expert, radio genius, wrote two brilliant books about radio, which I read before Times Radio launched, so I, he literally taught me everything I know, uh, which he may well sue if I if I repeat that again. Uh, he's also launched uh, Boom Radio as well, so uh, thanks, David Lloyd, for coming on. Right, let's then uh, dive into some of these ultra-local radio stations. Let's kick off with Alfred... One hundred and seven point three FM. This is Alfred. Kerry Jones is managing editor at Alfred. Broadcasting to Shaftesbury, Dorset, and Cranborne Chase. Hi, Kerry. Hello. You're right, Matt. I'm oh, very good. I'm oh, very good. Good to have you with us. Uh, we've also got Shine Radio.
2: Petersfields Shine Radio.
1: Katie Fairweather is a presenter and host of the podcast Dogs with Jobs. Kate, Hiya. morning. Good to have you here. I, I have to, to sorry, be here. I'm very jealous of just the title, Dogs With Jobs. Uh, <laughs> that that I'm, I'm sold already. We'll come on to that in a sec. Uh, we've also got uh, Rutland and Stamford Sound. Local radio for Rutland and Stamford. Online, Online, on mobile
2: and smart speaker. speaker. This is Rutland and Stamford
5: Sound.
1: Uh, they are in Lincolnshire. Breakfast presenter, project manager, Rob Persan is here. Hi, Rob. Hello, Matt. And uh, heading to Scotland, it's Two Locks Radio.
3: Broadcasting
5: to the Gearloch and Loch U area on 106 and 106.6 FM. Ullipull on 96.8 FM and 102.2 and online at 2lr.co.uk. This is Two Locks Radio and Loch Broome FM.
1: And Ian Meadows is station manager at Two Locks Radio. Ian, you're the small Britain's smallest local commercial station in the Highlands, is that right? Legend has it. Yes, we are. I don't want to start a fight with anyone else in this chat, uh, Clay, that they are also uh, the smallest. Um, uh, Cary, let's start with you. Um, what is? Why do you exist? What is it that uh, Alfred is doing uh, which isn't being done already?
6: Okay, Matt, we are the only media really for the small town of Shaftesbury, eight thousand people on top of a hill. We're a very distinct community because of the hilltop nature of this Saxon town. It goes back to King King Alfred's days. Almost like as you come into the Vale, as you might know from you know growing up in Somerset, you'll you'll see it like uh, Monaco, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Andorra or San Marino on the hilltop, and we're we're just a very distinct community. So we provide local news and information for 8,000 people in our patch. We don't even cover things happening five miles away. We go to all the parish council and town council meetings. There are five in total. Uh, We have one big school in our area, seven pubs. It's really hyper-local radio. And we just talk about things that matter to locals. It could be something... Yeah, relatively small on the scale of things, whereas other media might report on big issues being discussed by Dorset Council. If we go to a fate and there's two hundred people there and people are slaved away to put together their stalls and attractions, we know what a big thing it has been for them for the week running up to that. So we're all about putting local voices on air. And the other thing that makes us quite distinctive is that even though we're just covering eight thousand people on FM and we stream as well, we don't play any music. We're all speech all the time and We've got a team of volunteers who uh, provide content, features, interviews, articles to go out and about on their mobile phones, bringing a slice of local life. So a balloon came down on one of the local lanes a couple of years ago. And one of our volunteers, Rachel, was walking past and did an interview with a guy who was in the basket. Um, people are trained <laughs> to report and send stuff through to us. And we try and bring that just flavor of local life. People say who aren't local who listen to us. say so it's a bit like listening to the archers because we don't feature any national stories unless it happens within... Uh, literally, you're, if yeah, I could walk touching. to it from my house, we don't we don't touch it. So it's all local. <laughs> it's like listening to a soap opera to some extent.
1: And you get to know the characters and the running stories and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, we do. should mention people don't know. Chasby is probably best known for the for the Hovis advert, which everyone assumes was in Yorkshire because of the sort of the music and so on. But, but the, the hill with the bike and the uh, the boy pushing the bike up the hill was in in Kate, um, uh, tell us about how and touched on it a little bit there. Technology and the fact that basically now everyone has. The equipment to create radio in their pocket. Does that make your does that make it easier to do Shine Radio?
2: I think with Shine Radio, we're, we're the newbie. You know, we, we've been around for three years, four years since the first meeting and the general call for who wants to be involved in radio. So we've never had a studio and we've never had premises. And because we started up quite recently and then COVID hit, um, that was. How it was meant to be, I think. Um, I think we benefited hugely during COVID because everyone was at home and everyone wanted local information. And I suspect that would be true for all of us on this call. Um, but it 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 meant that people had more time to volunteer. I was one of those people. You know, you, I wasn't commuting anymore. I had fifteen hours more time, so <laughs> I ploughed that into volunteering. Yeah. So there were lots of levels on which COVID was a a great boost. For local audio, Um, and I, as you say, the technology is a big part of that. I I record my whole podcast on my iPhone uh, with a plug-in little Shure MV88 mic, and the flexibility that gives you, you know, means that wherever you are, as you say with your balloon example, Kerry, but you could just whip out your mic and get a (laughs) news clip, which you know feeds into um, everything else. Yeah, and And makes everyone a potential.
1: I do exactly the same thing, particularly if I'm in Westminster and I bump into someone or actually if you just want to record stuff. If you get a microphone out, people panic. But if you're just talking into your phone, uh, that seems, you know, it it seems much easier. Rob, um, how do you get on presenting uh, your show on uh, Rutland and Stanford Sound?
4: Um, well, I run the station as well in the same way that Kerry does, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it's basically, it's, it's kind of the legacy of what was the commercial station for our area, which became greatest hits radio a couple of years ago now, like so many across the country. And we were funded by our local council to actually put a project together to see if it was viable. Yeah. So it was launched within about six months. We've got a team of volunteers that do it. Um, I generate a lot of the content myself myself but also uh, we have volunteers that are doing it as well i'm on holiday at the moment so i've got the volunteers kind of pitching in whilst whilst i'm away doing all the local content we've got somewhere at the bird fair today which is the world's biggest uh world wildlife event of its kind it's in rutland the smallest county which is our primary area and Stamford next to it um so it's it's all about the local content unlike kerry station um we do play music we're kind of like a, a, a kind of scaled down traditional ilr basically it used to be a traditional local radio station and people perceive us that way but we're only online we can't get a frequency as yet and that that's that's that,
1: that was some of the challenges that David was talking about is you know be able to get either on am or dab or, or whatever what about you ian how do you get on uh, in the in the highlands of scotland tell us about the challenges that, that two locks radio faces well some of the challenges are
3: that the, the the geographical area is so large and yet the population is so small we've got huge mountains that get in the way so <laughs> you have to be quite clever with you know your transmissions we've got um, various relays that operate via the internet um but we stream as well um like some of the other stations which exist I suppose we are what you would have seen back in the day when local radio was around so we're kind of like uh, a small scale ilr but you know it's very community focused but you know the challenge is also we face depopulation we faced a very seasonal uh, economy it's all geared towards tourism during the summer so during the winter things become a lot more difficult sometimes if you if you do want to gather information and news from the patch it can be incredibly difficult if you're snowed in and sometimes if you're snowed in for five days, you have to... This is where technology can play a part. But, um, you know, sometimes you want to be there on the ground. You to, but, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah,
1: zoom, zoom, out there, zoom yeah. Zoom doesn't, as I know from personal experience, <laughs> Zoom doesn't, uh, isn't always quite the same. Although we're, we're, we're very pleased that all four of you are here from different parts of the country right now. Uh, let's dive in now to uh, hear some of your your best bits. Now, Kerry, um, Kerry Jones from Alfred Radio. as soon as I read about this this was the reason I wanted to do this feature tell us we're about to hear uh, in fact let's listen to it first of all and then you can tell us what it is afterwards here we go so Kerry what's going on there? I don't know because I couldn't hear it
6: oh right very good it's the sound of the hedge (laughs) <laughs> oh, right. Well, I know what it is then, <laughs> yes, but yeah, 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 I can't yeah. name any of them. Yeah. So, in a tiny town of 8,000 people, we thought we're not going to... Uh, puts news and information and our interviews and features on through the night because you can walk out in Shaftesbury at 11 o'clock at night and you're the only person that's out and about. So through the night we have what we did start calling Muse at 10, starting at 10 o'clock at night, an eight-hour recording non-stop made by this brilliant local guy, Nick Crump, who goes out, puts microphone in hedges and just gets the <laughs> soundscape. So certainly in the summer you can hear the day starting from 4.30 in the morning, you get birdsong and we're getting people that love it. They, they put it on through the night. We have the town hall clock chiming on the hour through the night it's really distinctive slightly discordant clock um and our brilliant voiceover Tris bertram announces you know to the world what the hour is uh, it's very sort of medieval and it just runs through the night and people love it and people comment oh i loved um, the river Stirkle this morning we get emails about it so we have that through the night but i mean it's it's that's just a little thing we started as a throwaway we're trying to just bonkers things that just hold a microphone up to the town. We've got meet my pets once a week where somebody just talks about their love for their animal. Um, we have the local charity shops in what's new on their shelves each week. It's a big deal on a Monday. You get to hear what's, what's going to be new that week. We have a, a brilliant woman. That has an equestrian feature off from the back of her horse every week. And, and when we had to try and get an interview with some difficult-to-get guests who are down from London, who have got a, a, a home here, second home, they won a big award. And they were being handled with an agency and press people. And we thought, we're not going to get to them. So we sent Cathy down on her horse. And that kind of broke down the barriers. Because <laughs> they don't expect that. They know they're in Dorset when it happens. It's just things like that. Which just which are quirky and weird because we're going to make an entire radio station just out of localness 24-7. And everything's got to be within 40 minutes walk from where I'm talking to you now in the town Centre. Yeah, so yeah. the overnight thing is just that distinctly local thing because you get I the clock it. through the night. I'm annoyed I haven't thought, thought of
1: it myself. Um, uh, I might start doing that, turning up to interviews on a horse to try, you know, turn up to press conferences on a horse and see if
6: that gets it's me n- I w- It works, trust me.
1: So, you, you mentioned uh, dogs, uh, Kerry. Now, uh, Kate, I know you do uh, the dogs, uh, dogs with jobs, but I also want to talk to you about uh, Petersfield Shine's youngest volunteer. This is six year old Sophira reading the lottery results.
5: And a Shine radio listener is among the winners in this week's East Hants Community Lottery. Theodora and Sophira have
4: the results. This week's winning numbers are four, another four, eight, three, 5, 6. You can support your community by taking part in the East Hands Community Lottery.
1: Oh, so cute. So, so cute. And uh, I have to say, Kate, a bit clearer than some of our newsreaders. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, so tell us, Kate, about how you, How I mean, getting people of all ages involved. That was is really important.
2: I think so. I think we're a market town, so we're a bit bigger than Shaftesbury. We're about um, 15,000 people, and we take in the villages that are outside the town of petersfield we call it the petersphere so it's quite a small area but there's a there's a rural flavor we're in farming country i've got a sheep farm just across the road from my house but it's also got a lot of brands on the high street that any high street would throughout the country um it's fairly middle class we've got a waterstones we've got a waitrose if that helps characterize it Um, and a big thing is all our local schools um and so we're covering things like school events sports um one of our newer volunteers went down and got back-to-back interviews recently at the petersfield town juniors football tournament and that went down a storm because there were just so many voices um, of people that um you know were local but also we're in the south downs so we had a lovely piece running recently on ponds in the south downs which is part of a distinctive landscape that makes this area different and and distinctive. And I say that as someone who grew up here. So um, it's got a strong sense of place. And I think for for anyone running hyperlocal radio, that sense of place is really lovely, and Petersfield is very
1: dog-focused town <laughs> as well. Everyone's got a dog, so I might start a radio station in my town, which is just dogs. Uh, that would definitely <laughs> definitely work. Um, uh, Rob, let's come to you, Rutland and Stanford Sound. And I suppose the point is that actually, if you you know keep your eyes open, you've got the time. Go out and meet people. There's always something going on. This is an interview you did with a, a local resident unicycling around Rutland Water. Let's take a listen.
2: So, yes, two post boxes supporting Caroline, who's mm-hmm. doing her unicycle challenge around Rutland. Yeah. And she's only been learning to unicycle for a matter of weeks.
4: Mm-hmm. You're
2: doing so well.
4: Oh, you really so are. Well.
5: But I haven't fallen off as much as I thought I might,
4: actually. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's probably one of the more surreal sights I've ever seen of <laughs> Rollin' Water. Two unicyclists, two post boxes.
6: <laughs> oh,
1: I love that. I haven't fallen off as much as I thought I might. That's not the same as <laughs> not having fallen off at all, Rob
4: yeah caroline found it really really difficult i wouldn't have been any better at all but basically yeah one sunday afternoon it was blowing a gale um the most famous part of rutland is is the reservoir right in the middle uh it was built like 30 40 years ago but people see it as like a, a natural kind of resort uh, and she was there raising a couple of thousand pounds for a letter writing charity but the, the two people either side of her that were kind of holding her up a bit were there as as post boxes as pillar boxes on the move as well <laughs> kind of dressed up
1: brilliant you see it's just fun uh, and ian uh, we've got Interview that you did for two locks. This is uh, with someone doing an electro fishing demonstration, mm. and actually, it's not looking too
3: bad. Which means hopefully, the man with what looks like a Ghostbusters outfit on his back, Peter Cunningham, will be able to do his demonstration. What are you going to demonstrate, Peter?
7: Well, Graham, who's just standing behind you, likes to sing the Ghostbuster theme tune every time he sees me wearing this, but it's not in fact a Ghostbuster apparatus. I'm sure it would work. I've never tried it out in Ghosts before. But it's a piece of equipment which we use to survey the rivers of Westeros Ross to see if we could find any young salmon.
1: And well, the, the really, um, uh, sorry, Ian. The really striking thing is that even when you're using volunteers and so on as well, like the the, the the art of radio, describing, painting with pictures through all of these clips and all you know, and I've listened to a lot, a lot others as well. You're really getting a sense of place from all of these, and they're very different mm. places. Mm. Well, th-
3: the amazing thing, of course, is that volunteers, because they live in that area, they know it back to front. And so there is a shorthand there, but they're able to bring that to the fore. And it is, radio has always been about painting pictures with words. I mean, that was taken at uh, the gathering, that interview, which is a huge thing. It's really, really important in all Highland communities. And anybody who is anybody is going to be there, the chieftain of the clans. And when they all come together... Um, you know there's a lot of gossip there's a bit of a blether there's all these demonstrations <laughs> and you know there's life it, 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 that's the thing it's relevant and it's life and it's everything that people can identify with and so when Peter says the rivers of Westeros we know exactly what he's talking yeah. about so you know that shorthand is there but yeah the pictures are always there they're
1: better on radio anyway the pictures are better on radio although they keep put, having the cameras on in the air which is quite irritating um just before i let you all go just quickly coming round because my timekeeping, despite having done this for three years i'm still not very good at the timekeeping on the radio if you could if you could change one thing that would help you with your radio station what would it be uh kerry first of all from alfred radio
6: Nothing. I'm really happy with my team. They're brilliant. We're all volunteers. Nobody's Uh, paid. We do it for three grand a year. That's the total running cost. Wow. It just works.
1: That's a bigger budget than Times Radio, I think. Uh, Rob, (laughs) Rob, at Rutland and Stanford Sound, I don't know know if it's like money or if it's,
4: uh, um, you know, uh, regulation or what. Is there anything that you'd change? ours is definitely getting a frequency um you know we were just we were launched just after the door was kind of closed to, to get an fm frequency dab is really difficult for us to to yeah. kind of get onto, but we're still trying yeah um yeah definitely that
1: to so get so that more people can hear what you do what about you kate uh, shine they don't know that i
2: change anything i think there's something really wholesome about the sheer range of people that we've got involved. Um, I think something when we started up was we had some people that really, really knew the radio business and knew audio as people were being supported coming into it as presenters i think one of our challenges now is moving to a point where everybody is presenting and editing and producing and balancing their hours (laughs) in the vt editor and those sorts of things and so everyone's kind of upskilling
1: yeah and learning and it's so exciting and what about you ian at two locks what would you change well I think probably we could always do
3: with a bit more money coming through the door. And it is a case of trying to persuade some businesses that there is value in engaging with the local community and uh i think that, that that's the one big thing because you yeah. know we are in a seasonal economy and uh
1: we've and got they, to make make ends meet and move some of the mountains that would make life easier <laughs> um, really good to speak I, honestly this has been brilliant thank you so much ian, that was ian meadows from two locks radio kate fairweather from petersfield shine rob Pisani from rutland and stanford sound and kerry jones from alfred radio while we've been in t- we are, while we've been talking uh kerry somebody's been in touch and they love the book reviews
6: Oh yeah, she's fant- Karen Cole is fantastic I'll there plug we her website Google hair past a freckle full of amazing book reviews there
1: we are lovely uh, that was uh, Mary the book fairy has been in touch and that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes post a review if you're going to be nice let me know what you think email me matt at times.radio and catch me on times radio weekdays from 10 but for now for me matt jolly is goodbye
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
3: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.